Reignite on RTE Radio 1 with AIB. It takes a certain kind of brave to run a business. We see it, we back it. Well, at times over the past week, it seemed like one word was breaking through the noise. I saw this article. Businesses are sleepwalking into a mental health crisis. COVID is pushing workers to the brink, new study shows. Your work colleagues may be in trouble. As the pandemic rages outside, feelings of anxiety, depression, loneliness, burnout and stress continue to grow inside an increasing number of workers. I've noticed this. In the UK, a quarter of employees feel as if they've hit a psychological breaking point. Over half of those surveyed feel a pressure to disguise to their colleagues the sinking feeling that accompanies their difficulty in coping with both the stresses of the job and the stresses of the pandemic. And that was Baz Ashmawi flicking through the newspapers on Radio 1 yesterday morning. Now, when we talk about workplaces, we don't just mean traditional offices or factories or homes. Professional sports people work in fields and arenas, in pools and on tracks. And over in Tokyo, even the world's greatest athletes have been feeling the burn. Well, to bring the topic of mental health, I think it should be talked about a lot more, especially with athletes, because I know some of us are going through the same things and we're always told to push through it, but we're all a little bit older now and we could kind of speak for ourselves. But at the end of the day, we're not just entertainment, we're humans and there are things going on behind the scenes that we're also trying to juggle with as well on top of sports and it's been really stressful this olympic games i think just as a whole not having an audience there are a lot of different variables going into it it's been a long week it's been a long olympic process it's been a long year we're just a little bit too stressed out so it's okay sometimes to even sit out the big competitions to focus on yourself because it shows how strong of a competitor and person that you really are rather than just battle through it. And that was, of course, the US Olympic gymnast, Simone Biles. So what exactly is burnout? Here's a really clear explanation that Dr Deirdre O'Shea of the University of Limerick gave to Brendan O'Connor recently. So burnout is a process. It's characterised by three things. First is emotional exhaustion, which is feeling completely drained, exhausted by your work. The second thing is having negative feelings towards your job. And that's not sort of the normal, just feeling a little bit, um, you know, tired or something like that. It's more feeling cynical about, about your job or about the people you have to interact with in your job. And the third aspect is a sense of not feeling like you're accomplishing what you should in your, in your job. So, you know, you're trying to get through that to-do list and you can't get through it. And as I said, it's an end state um, of a process. Um, so it's an end state of chronic stress that occurs um, as a result of work. And it's not something that happens overnight. All right. So that's what burnout is. But just what impact does the phenomenon have on our places of work? And how can we avoid getting to the stage where our brains are literally frying? So let's start the conversation with Susan Hayes, the positive economist. Susan is also the co-founder of the Savvy Teen Academy. You're very welcome to reignite. Susan, Just how important is it for businesses, workplaces to understand this phenomenon in terms of the impact on people, our productivity, our willingness to go to work every day? Well, first of all, Anya, everybody knows that the backbone of every business is its people. And of course, if your people aren't able um, or feeling good about 
the way in which they do their work, then it can have a really big knock on effect. And I think I think Dr. Deirdre's um, definition that actually comes from the World Health Organization is indeed very clear. And a lot of people can actually empathise with it. And this happened long before the pandemic. For example, back in early 2020, there was a study done by um, The Matter Private, actually, about working health. And at that stage, 80% of people said that they felt stress. And I'm sure a lot of people can empathise with that. But 40% of people identified as having burnout. And that was pre the pandemic. So we can see that it is quite pervasive. Um, When you look around Europe, actually, Ireland, even at that stage, isn't that bad relative to what you can see in other places particularly Portugal, Greece and Latvia in that order um, would also talk about high levels of burnout but that comes an awful lot from low wages and, and high hours. So I think it is un- really important to understand the nature of this and how it can impact but to take it from the macro to the micro I, as an employer, um, I'm somebody that that leads four teams within our own business. Um, when you see people melting down in front of you and unfortunately Anya we have mm-hmm. seen that in the last year and a half it's really difficult really difficult to handle and not an awful lot of people can be prepared for that and I think that that really is the modern day workplace requirement is that I think in essence we as employers and as leaders but also as individuals in the workplace we have to understand this is a real thing and we need to upskill people to be able to handle it sensitively um, it, both in lines with how you take care of the person as well as the values of the business And so the risk of burnout has probably intensified over the last 18 months but it's probably harder for people to detect it when you're looking at them through a Zoom you can't actually read the room Well that's it I mean you, you basically see the top quarter of somebody and, and also the, the Zoom conversations can be very intense and there, is, there isn't an awful lot of time for that like how are you sort of small talk chat that might be had over lunch or over coffee or, or whatever so it can be, can be harder to detect but that said the other thing as well is that our lifestyles now within work have really blurred uh, it would, between the lifestyle between or sorry the, the lines between lifestyle and work I should say yeah. they have very very much blurred I mean you know whether it's answering emails very early in the morning or whether it's responding to Slack messages late at night and look again lots of people listening today will say yes I do that and often it's not because you set an expectation for somebody to respond it's just because it's handy but then you never know how that could be interpreted on the other side And from your observations do you think different people have different triggers that how it might affect a boss where the stakes are maybe higher is different to, let's say, a junior entrant into our workplace? Well, definitely. And the reason I think that is is that work has changed in Ireland. I mean, I'm a child of the 80s and and certainly I come from a family, both on my mum and my dad's side, where work is really valued. But work then was physical work. It was ours. It was grit. It is the ability to keep going physically. Whereas today, actually, an awful lot of work is mental and it's emotional and it's psychological and it's all consuming. So, and I've often thought about if, if my granddad saw me working today, would he think I work at all? <laughs> you know, but that's the thing is that I think we also have to understand work has changed and it's definitely changed again naturally enough since since the, the pandemic but I, I certainly as you move from a junior entrant often or, or people in a in a more doing type job can be physically exhausted and as you move up the ranks um, it can be more mental exhaustion and that can be hard to spot and put your finger on and given it's all of those things like the physical emotional mental pressures do you think businesses are doing enough to be proactive preventative never mind even the reactive stuff Businesses have really been under pressure like over the past, Look, generally businesses yeah. are under pressure anyway, Let, let's call a spade a spade. But I think that if I look from my own experience, when March 2020 happened, there was so much focus on re- reacting 
to how customers needed to be served and at the same time trying to be proactive about how to take care of your staff in such a way where their lives were changing very, very quickly. Um, often, I think that the people who were trying to manage both, they got forgotten uh, and, and they forgot themselves because number one, there was so much to do and so much to handle at the time. And number two is that we weren't prepared for this. Like there, this isn't in an MBA. Yeah. And for you as a boss, like, have you ever felt you know, I'm close to burning out here. Have you ever had to kind of take a moment to recognise the signs? I don't think there's anybody could sit in front of you, Anya, that has managed people that, that will yeah. say no to that question. Unfortunately, I, un, I like, and it's almost uncomfortable talking about it because if, like in many ways, I kind of feel I should have been better than this at the time, but it was actually pre the pandemic. It was really scary because thankfully we were really, really busy. I was travelling all the time and, uh, but I was really starting to question if I enjoyed this anymore. And um, and the reason that it's uncomfortable to talk about that is is I set this business up, mm. and I mean it's it, at the time it was nine and a half years old. We were heading for our, our first decade, and this is what I'd worked towards. And it's almost like you know you're on the road, you're driving towards Cork, you're in the you're in the English market, and you're wondering, I'm supposed to be in the Maryborough Hotel by now. It's 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 an awful scary. Getting patient, yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's really scary because then as you look in the mirror, you realise I'm the one that was the architect of this. This is what I've been working towards, and you can't exactly turn to your staff and say yeah so I, I'm, I'm not sure about this anymore and and actually the hardest person to admit that to is yourself so and look I know there's bigger problems in the world I absolutely know that and I know there's some it's people it's all could, relative it, yeah. it is all relative but to me it was a big deal at the time and um, and then of course the pandemic happened which meant I was now dealing with trying to you know rebuild the business because that that month was exceptionally scary at the time So what did you do? Um, well first of all I, I had to be more I suppose open with myself and I had a good chat many Manny a chat with my great husband Ardell and uh, and he's he's my co-founder as well as my fellow director and um, so after that on you though I, I had to bring in a business coach so I went to Dublin Leo and I got some mentoring at that stage and uh, and there was an awful lot of soul searching that went on and I remember one gut punch that I got um, the business coach said to me he says do you think you're a manager or a leader so anyway, I kind of, you know, rationaled why Good I felt question. it was a bit of both. And then he says to me, the one thing he said to me was that he said, I, I said, I think I empower my staff. And he says, I don't think you do at all. He says, I think you liquidate their food and you just, you spoon feed them as if they were like pre-solids. Micromanagement, yeah. And, uh, and I didn't like hearing that now. I really didn't. But actually he was, he was right. And that's what I needed to do was that I needed to stop looking at me to be trying to do as much as I was doing and really empower the team. Um, the other thing I did, Anya, is that I actually learned how to take my weekends off and um, and that, by the way, has not uh, my biggest fear. My biggest fear around that was that what if I couldn't do as much as I did before? Was it going to, you know, shorten the company's journey or or anything else? And uh, and I had to learn how to do that as well. I'm also embarrassed to have to say that. But I learned how to put that in place. And now I'm hungrier than ever. I'm more ambitious than ever. The business wasn't hurt and it was just about putting processes in place. And now now I'm back on track. A reminder, we are talking to the positive economist, Susan Hayes, who has been speaking about her own teams, her own management, how businesses are dealing with the phenomenon of burnout. And as part of this conversation, we want to know if the experience is similar for people in other walks of life. Our reporter, Colette Kinsella, has been speaking to reigniters about stress and burnout and the life lessons they've learned during the pandemic. Devil's food. Yeah, okay. Do you remember back during the first COVID lockdown? when we were all having fun baking sourdough and cakes. Get Betty Crocker cake mixes today. Well, these newfound hobbies of ours weren't quite as much fun for Don McGuinness. Our business is food packaging for bakery and dairy. So as we clear the shelves of butter and flour, 
Producers ramped up production. So instantly we were inundated with customers looking for wrappers. Then the good weather arrived. So people started doing barbecues. So the demand for burger bun wrappers was next to come. And then every day after that, the orders increased and the pressure mounted. Until finally... I was sitting at my desk and I just looked at the next eight weeks of orders. My heart started to pump out of my chest. My legs went to jelly. And I wanted to get out of the building as if it was on fire. But lockdown wasn't like that for everyone. When the pandemic first hit, I thought to myself, actually, do you know what, this is going to give me a little bit of a break. I can get off the hamster wheel and just chill a little bit. Davina Devine is a drag queen. And she needs high-octane stress to turn out high-energy lip-sync performances. Our drag shows used to be wild. But when all that stopped, there was a new reality to face. Our whole life was just pulled from under us and we were like, what are we going to do? You felt very isolated. I kind of describe it as feeling like a human nut. Everything's intense and tight and you're just a big ball of tightness, you know? What Davina and Don experienced is, of course, stress. Although with very different causes. Stress is something that's really important. It is our natural response to fight, flight or fear. Siobhan Murray knows all about stress. She's a psychotherapist and author of The Burnout Solution, a book about how to cope with stress. Without stress, we wouldn't keep ourselves safe. We need it. It's really important. But when it gets too much, when we don't take a break from stress, if we've got stress continual in our lives, we're going to head towards burnout. The World Health Organization tells us that burnout is something we experience at work. Although Siobhan sees this differently. I prefer to refer to it as emotional, physical and mental exhaustion brought on by emotionally demanding situations, which when you think about it, that has been the last 18 months. You can be emotionally exhausted, having done very little. You can be physically exhausted, even if you think you've had a good night's sleep. It's that overriding feeling of overwhelmness. But I think it's important to say a lot of people might identify with that and say, yeah, I feel like that. This is when those feelings go on for periods of three months and longer. Siobhan knows what burnout feels like. In her previous job, she'd wake up with anxiety, find it hard to make decisions, dread going to work, and even find herself lying on the kitchen floor completely exhausted. It was like I was pedalling uphill with the chain off the bike. So to deal with this, Siobhan developed what she calls an emotional toolkit, with a top layer and a bottom layer, to stop the stress from building up. It's sleep, nutrition, exercise and clutter. And exercise is rest as much as it is exercise. So it's not about always pushing yourself. It's about knowing when to actually take a step back. Sometimes you have to dig deep and sometimes you have to go to the bottom layer of your toolkit. And for that, I would say that's where you reach out and speak to a therapist or go to a GP or speak to somebody in HR in your work. We don't always have to go that far. We have our our good layer at the top. But we also need to know that the bottom layer is there too. So the big question now might be, what can we learn from all this, from stress and burnout and lockdowns, that will help us come out the other side? One thing that I learned was actually helping other people was something that brought me great joy. Having experienced burnout while working in a packaging factory, 
Don realised that a happy future for him meant no packaging. This year, he and his wife realised a lifelong dream and opened an eco shop. If people coming in and out chatting about the environment and the lovely smells from the soaps and the fresh food and that, it's almost like meditation as opposed to the factory book, you know. For Davina Devine, on the other hand, the lockdowns reaffirmed her passion for performing. She survived isolation, she said, by streaming live shows from her living room. But now she's ready to get back to real live audiences. You know, like back in the days, like we'd be getting ready in like unused toilets and clubs and just like crap dressing rooms. That's where the real drama happens. Tears, tantrums, everything, and just being, you know, bitchy drag queens. They're not going to keep me down. If they get rid of that, I'll be sweeping the road and drag. The unmistakable sound of Britney Spears ending that report from Colette Kinsella. Siobhan Murray's book, which was mentioned there, is called The Burnout Solution. It's published by Guild Books. And we'll talk about some of those techniques to deal with burnout with Greg McKeown a little later in the show. Keep your text messages coming to 51551. Uh, we have one texter who says, I worked for a company where senior management expected middle management to be in the office from 8am to 8pm and then be on call through the night and at weekends. I burned out after a year. Many others didn't last that long. That is often seen as something US multinationals do, but that was a large Irish company. Um, You've also been answering a poll over on the RT Radio 1 Instagram page about tips for dealing with burnout. Some of you have been talking about small, achievable tasks, breaking them down in order to build momentum and confidence, taking lots of breaks, meeting with friends and taking complete rest and recharge breakaways. Susan, to come back to you, the Positive Economist, I wonder for our generation and particularly women, and I often use this mantra of if you want something done, ask a busy woman. But are we in danger of overworking and burning out in particular? Anya, 75% of the world's unpaid work is done by women. So let's take that into consideration as well. And when we talk about unpaid work, whether it's housework and, you know, caring for other people outside the home, etc. And I think that that certainly intensified again uh, during the pandemic. And I'm sure there's lots of women listening right now involuntarily nodding. So, uh, yes, it it can be it can be a real challenge there. And and work life balance, I think, can mean different things to different people as well. So so let's bear that in mind. Also, when we look at um, the globally, the the 72 percent of the world's healthcare workers were women, uh, are, are women, sorry, I should say, also the, the majority as well of social care and hospitality. So all of those had a very different experience, a very acute experience as well of, of the pandemic along the way. And in Reignite 2.1, we talked to Eliza Philby, who talked a lot about Generation Z and that they're not, they want to get back to the office, but that the office they want, I suspect, is very different to the offices we know of old. What do you think we need to have in mind now for that generation? I work an awful lot with, with Gen Z and, uh, and they're amazing people, um, but they're often burdened by their own potential. And I often see that when they, they want to kind of get ahead there. And they're, look, the world has, has moved in that direction as well. And I mean, it's, it's even more acute, particularly when you look at Asian cultures, etc. But if we just come back home for a while, um, I think Gen Z are really, um, they're empowered, they're, they're very passionate, they're very talented, they're very competent, and they do have high expectations of themselves and the people around them. Now, transfer all of that into an office environment, which is redefining itself. We're now moving into an enforced hybrid structure. Um, and I think that that's, again, where I think today's 
managers need to be need to be prepared for that generation. They're different than millennials. They're different than boomers. So it's just about understanding that space in between the two. It's not that one doesn't understand the other. It's just that a bridge is to be built. Great. We need to get proactive there. Thank you so much, Susan Hayes. If you want to find out more about Susan and her work, check out thepositiveeconomist.com. Keep in touch. You can continue to text us on 51551. Email reignite at rte.ie or tweet at reignite RTE. Coming up after the break, Greg McKeown teaches us about an effortless world. 